You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Uh, thanks for being here. If we have uh, not met before, my name is Craig, and I'm one of the pastors, and let me just say that it is our joy to have you. I want to welcome you on behalf of the whole church and say thanks for being here with us today uh, to worship and to uh, gather before the Lord. Uh, before I jump into today's message, I just wanted to thank, thank the church, thank you as a church, and really to honor you, um, and let, just, just to take a moment and thank God uh, for the people of Grace Church Last week was a significant Sunday for us. Uh, it was Easter Sunday. It was a significant Sunday for every, every Christian. It was Easter Sunday. It happened to be a Sunday where um, we had more people gather in our building than we've ever had in the history of our church on a Sunday. But that's just a very small footnote. Um, what I want to thank the Lord, I, th I thank the Lord for that. But what, because it got lost people heard the gospel and that's wonderful. But what I really want to thank the Lord for today is for you because we asked... Uh, for help. We asked for people to jump in and serve because we added a service, a third service for Easter, and you guys did that heroically. I think we actually had more people than we needed, I heard, in uh, Grace Kids. So thank you for serving. And we also asked you to invite. We all said, let's all invite folks. And you did. I met a number of your family members and uh, friends and that sort of thing. So thank you for just having a heart for the Lord and a heart to extend the gospel to people who need him by taking an opportunity uh, on Easter to reach out. So thank you so much. It was a, it was a wonderful Sunday, and thanks for coming back. In, in the church world, this is Let Down Sunday. So everybody comes at Easter, those who come once a year, twice a year. Everybody's there the Sunday after. Everybody said, well, man, I couldn't do that two weeks in a row. What do you think I am? So uh, anyway, thanks for, uh, thanks for being here today. Well, we are working our way, if you're new here, we're working our way through the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a different book. There's no book like Ecclesiastes in the Bible, and it is, it is very different. Um, and today we're going to follow the text, and we're going to talk about worship. I want to talk today, uh, give a, a word about worship. So we're going to be talking about what's happening right now. Not like right now in our culture or right now in Frisco, but like right here, right now in this room. This message, uh, this passage will be uh, very relevant because it informs uh, what we're doing and, and why we're doing it in this moment. And this passage of Scripture today, if you've been tracking with us, is very different than we've read in Ecclesiastes. So I said Ecclesiastes is different than most of the Bible, uh, but this passage is different than anything we've read so far. Because so far, it's been Ecclesiastes that calls himself the preacher. Uh, we assume he's King Solomon. And he has been sort of ruminating. He's been very philosophical. He's been making observations about the meaning of life. Uh, he's been talking about life is fleeting. It's, you can't grasp life. Uh, he's been talking about there's no gain. You, 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 it feels like there's no gain in life. Uh, we've been talking about life as gift, not gain. He's been looking around the world and, and uh, looking at the repeated patterns of our behavior and, and just, uh, and at points saying, boy, there's just an emptiness in life. And today, he's going to totally change, and he's going to talk about worship. 
Uh, he's going to use the name of God more than he has so far in the book. And his concern that he's going to address today is the idea that people can gather before worship, before God in worship, and we can gather in thoughtless ways and careless ways. Uh, his concern is that worship have the fear of the Lord uh, characterizing it. And so he's giving exhortations, not reflections today. He's giving exhortations, calling his readers to come to the house of the Lord and to listen and to respond to God with an appropriate attitude of awe and reverence and wonder before the Lord. So let's read verses 1 through 7 of chapter 5 in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is God's holy word. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. It's a sober passage, uh, no doubt. Phil Riken in his commentary on Ecclesiastes said this. I think this is a great summary of the idea. He says, Ecclesiastes 5 was written to help us take God more seriously when we worship. Ecclesiastes 5 was written to help us take God more seriously when we worship. And boy, that's an apt word for the church, us and all churches, certainly the church in our culture today, where God is often not taken very seriously. But he's saying... This chapter is about helping us do that. And he starts the passage, really the, the main idea of the passage is, I think, can be drawn by looking at the beginning and the end. So it's kind of like uh, an envelope of these, or like a sandwich. The, the, the beginning and the end really tell us what the whole passage is about. So he begins with, guard your steps. And then he closes it when you come to the house of the Lord. And then he closes with, God is the one you must fear. Guard your steps when you come to the house of the Lord. God is the one you must fear. This is his concern, that we arrive at corporate worship, the house of the Lord, what he calls here, that we arrive at corporate worship with the fear of the Lord. We're to take God seriously. And he, he tells us how we're to do that. He says this in this passage that we are to approach God carefully. He says that we are to listen intently and that we are to speak thoughtfully. We are to approach carefully. We are to listen intently and we are to speak thoughtfully. I'm going to spend most of the time just on the first couple of verses 
and then we will certainly cover most of it. But I'm going to spend most of the time on the first couple of verses. Number one, he says, approach carefully. Verse one, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. So to guard is to keep under close watch. To guard is to be, to take care. He, he doesn't mean literally watch your feet, guard your steps, you know, be careful walking up the steps into the church. That, that's not what he means. Or to the house of the Lord, the temple in their case. That's not what he means. When he says guard your steps, he's talking about addressing our attitude and our mindset when we come to the house of the Lord. For the original readers, that would have been the temple. They would have been coming to the temple. We, we no longer uh, gather in a temple. We don't live under the old covenant where God's presence was uniquely in a building. Under the new covenant, we are the temple. The people of God are the temple. First Corinthians, Paul tells us that the spirit of God is in the people of God, the temple of God. So for us, it would be coming to gather as the church, uh, to worship. Now, just because the nature of the temple has changed doesn't mean that our attitude should change. We, too, should approach worship with the fear of the Lord. Approach, guard your steps, and then he closes with, God is the one you must fear. So we are to come with the fear of the Lord. We are to come worshiping with a reverent heart. We are to come in awe of God more aware of God than anything else. When we gather on Sundays, we should be more aware of God than anything else. That's what it means to have awe, to, to be reverent in our worship. I think reverent uh, is, is a good synonym for the fear of the Lord. It's a reverence for God. Now, when we think about reverent worship, we tend to think about externals. We tend to think about environment. Uh, but I don't think that's what he is talking about. Uh, I think reverence and fear of the Lord do not begin with externals. They do not begin with environment. They begin, well, they begin with our hearts, not, not the environment. I mean, by, by any sort of metrics, someone could look and say, well, this isn't a very reverent worship service. Um, and if you look at externals, that could be true. Um, you know, for instance, we are dressed pretty casually. Most of us are casual here today in our dress. I'm not addressing you in clerical garb. Though if I put on a little white collar, I might have made it today. But I'm not addressing you in any kind of clerical garb. Our, our music is, tends to be more pop than classical or formal. Um, I'm addressing you conversationally. I'm not using stylized rhetoric or something like this to emphasize some kind of uh, somber or sober or formal speech. It's casual speech. Most of us are dressed casually. Um, and so it could, someone could look and say, well, this doesn't seem very reverent. But reverence or the fear of the Lord begins with our hearts. The reality is you can fear the Lord in jeans and you can wear a suit and be very flippant in your attitude towards the Lord. And by the way, it's easy to dress reverent. It's very challenging to have a reverent heart before the Lord. You can sing reverently before the Lord, fearing the Lord with an electric guitar, and you can have a pipe organ, and your heart can be checked out not paying any attention to God at all. It's not just about the style 
of the music that creates reverence. You can be reverent before the Lord, bowed before him, recognizing his holiness in a hut in an African village. And you can have a heart that's very irreverent, very cold in a cathedral in Europe. It's not about the room or the building. It's about, are we coming with this kind of question? What am I thinking about God this morning? What do I feel in my soul about God Almighty this morning? Am I aware that he is great? Am I aware that that he is awesome? Am I struck by his holiness and my need for him? Are my mind and my heart engaged with the living God? This is what it means to be careful as we approach the house of God and to ensure that it is God, the one who we fear. Am I distracted? Is my mind drifting? Am I showing up like I would for any other meeting, a sporting event, a concert, a work conference? Is it just like showing up for anything else, or is there something unique that happens when the people of God gather before him under his word to worship him? Something unique. The, the, the key thing is our heart. We approach carefully and seek to think intentionally about why we are here. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm preaching this sermon And we're singing the second song this morning, and my mind was thinking about something different that I need to do. And I'm the one who's been thinking all week about this, and is coming up and telling you, hey, let's get our mind in the game for the glory of God. And I'm thinking about who knows what. And I said to reel myself back in, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Help me be aware of you. We're singing words about your holiness. I'm singing, I'm singing Jesus, you alone, but I'm thinking about not Jesus alone. I'm thinking about something else. I know that's, that's, a, that's a small thing, a drifting mind. But is it before the holy God of the universe? We, we want to come prepared to encounter God come prepared. We want to come on time. Oh, he stopped preaching. He's about to start meddling now. (laughs) We come on time. I'm not coming with my steps carefully thinking about encountering God walking in in the middle of the third song. It's impossible. Now, emergencies happen, stuff happens, I get it. But on a regular basis, Am I coming prepared? Am I coming before God? Am I silencing my mental distractions just like I would silence my phone? Am I turning off the, the stream of thought? And am I coming to listen to God? That's what he says. He says, gather carefully. And secondly, he says, listen intently. Look what he says. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near, to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. The sacrifice of fools draw near to listen. This is our first responsibility as we gather. We gather first to hear God. Now, in the Bible, hearing is frequently more than allowing, and Tim Tim said this this morning as we were singing, it's more than allowing sound to enter my ears. He's not speaking scientifically or biologically. You know, listen, okay, the sound entered in. He's talking about, are you hearing? Are you receiving? 
Are you responding? He's talking about hearing in the sense that the heart is engaged and responsive. He didn't mean did sound enter your ears for the morning as you gathered with God's people. It's hearing, receiving, responding. David Gibson in the book that we have out at the Resource Center about uh, about Ecclesiastes, this is what he said. I think this is challenging. He says the ear is the Christian's primary sense organ. Listening to what God has said is our main spiritual discipline. We need someone to tell us to listen because we want to look and speak more than we want to listen. There's a humility in posturing our heart to listen to God. It's true, we want to speak. He's got a lot to say about that in a minute. Most of the passage is about watch your words. But, but we want to speak. We want to give our input. We want to make our requests. And God says, you need to hear me. Listen, enter carefully to draw near to listen, as opposed to offering the sacrifice of fools. So he contrasts these. Uh, the sacrifice of fools versus the one who comes near to listen. Now, the idea of drawing near to listen we try to structure the service that way. That's why we open up with what's called a call to worship. Um, it's, it's the element at the beginning of the worship gathering where, that Rob did it today, where we read a scripture, where he read the psalm to us today. We read a scripture, so we greet, we greet everybody at the beginning, and then we read a scripture. Before we pray, before we sing, before we preach, before we fellowship, before we do any of that, we hear from God. And that's not just some kind of empty formality. Oh, that was a good idea. What? Yeah, let's, let's crack open a verse of Scripture to get this thing going, huh? It's not like that. It's rather we want God to address our hearts about worship, and then we want to respond to the Word. And so that's why we have the call of worship at the very beginning. We draw near to listen. We hear from God before we sing, before we speak, before we pray to him. Now Solomon warns against this sacrifice of fools, but he doesn't give us an example. Don't, don't, don't you read, oftentimes read in the Bible and say, well, just give us an example would be really helpful. Well, well he doesn't give us an example here. Um, he warns against the sacrifice of fools, but he does give us a clue. He contrasted, as I mentioned, with listening. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. So whatever the sacrifice of fools is, it must have to do with a failure to listen and respond. It must have to do with a failure to obey God. It must have something to do with showing up and performing some kind of religious act, in this case a sacrifice, so showing up, performing a religious act, and yet not hearing. There's something about, you didn't hear me. There, there's not an obedience from the heart. I think a really good example of this uh, is in the story of King Saul. King Saul was the first king. He was not a good king, but he was the first king of Israel. And there was this one instance, it's in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 15, where where they're about to go to war, and Saul is leading them into battle, and Samuel the prophet has not come, at least he's not there on time, at least according to Saul's timetable. He's not there, and they need to offer a sacrifice. They need to worship the Lord to trust the Lord that he will empower them before they go into this war, in this battle. 
And so King Solomon just sort of thinks, hey, I'm not really authorized to do sacrifices and stuff, but that can't be too big of a deal, right? I'll just offer this sacrifice and God will meet us. It's somewhat, probably somewhat, um, you know, uh, uh, almost superstitious. We got to have the sacrifice, so I'll offer it and, and, and make it happen, and then God will honor it. Well, God doesn't honor it. Samuel shows up and sees Saul and said, you, you already offered the sacrifice. He's not supposed to do that. And this is what Samuel says to him in 1 Samuel 15, 22. And Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. So he's making the same contrast here that Ecclesiastes does. It's better to obey than sacrifice and listen. So he's contrasting making a sacrifice of a fool, King Saul, versus listening. And what he's saying is, you know, God prescribes sacrifices, but the heart of the sacrifice is God's not primarily concerned that the fat of the ram got burned. That's not the main thing. The main thing is that you listen that you uh, obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord would rather have you listen to him and do what he says than go through the ritual motion of offering a sacrifice. He's more pleased when we listen and then when we do what he says than rather just performing in a perfunctory manner some religious obligation. Ian Proven in his commentary on Ecclesiastes says this, the sacrifice of fools is, now this is a bit wordy but helpful, careless observance of religion. Careless observance of religion is the sacrifice of fools. That was Saul. Unattached to any genuinely Godward movement of the soul. It's going through the motions, but my soul is not moving towards God. It's not receiving from God what God is saying to me. My soul is not enlivened. On the inside, my heart is not stirred. My affections are not warming to God. He said, it's, there's no Godward movement of the soul. It's enacted out of custom, peer pressure, or habit. How frequently I find myself here. It's just, it's just hey, this is what we do, man. We just go on Sunday. We just, I don't know, we just sing these songs, and then some dude gets up and says stuff, and sometimes he gets hyped up and yells, and sometimes he doesn't, but he just shows, and then we pray, and then, I don't know, we just kind of, it's just what you're supposed to do. Or we do it because of peer pressure. We just look around, and, well, what's everybody else doing? Or we do it because of habit. You can, a habit that's not thoughtful is not guarding our steps to go to the house of the Lord. It's not approaching carefully. It's just, hey, this is, I'm just, it's a rote ritual. Now, we don't offer sacrifices, and I'm thankful for that. I'm really thankful to live this side of the, this side of the cross, that my, my role, my, my role in the church doesn't involve slitting an animal's throat, okay? So I'm thankful that we live this side of the cross of Jesus. We don't offer sacrifices because Jesus is our sacrifice. However, we too can do what's in view here. We can substitute religious activity like attendance, singing, serving, giving. We can substitute that for a humble heart of listening, and frankly, it's much easier. It's much easier to just show up. It's much easier to serve. It's much easier to give than it is to 
ask God to speak to my heart, to open my heart before the Lord and have a humble heart of listening. To draw near to listen is better than the sacrifice of fools because God doesn't want us merely present going through the motions. He wants us to come ready to be addressed as he speaks to us through song, sermon, and through sacrament. So how, how can we guard our steps and draw near to listen? These first two ideas out of verse one. How can we guard our steps, approach with care, and listen, draw near to listen? Well, it starts before 9 a.m. on Sunday morning. It really starts all week long. It starts by, first of all, having on my calendar mapped out and marked out, and you don't need to hear this, you're in the room, you came, but Sunday is the Lord's day. That's what the Bible calls it, the New Testament calls it, Sunday is the Lord's day. So on my calendar, I just already know Sunday, where I'm gonna be, because it is God's day, the, the special day to gather with God's people and worship the Lord. So first of all, during the week, it's in my plan, in my calendar, uh, to be here. Uh, secondly, we pray for the gathering during the week. We pray for the gathering. Lord, would you, you pray for members of the church, pray for people you know, pray for yourself, pray for your family, pray for those who are involved in teaching this, the kids uh, at Grace Kids right now, pray for those who lead us in um, singing and, and the preacher and everything that happens in the service. So pray for those uh, and pray that you will hear from God. I assure you that if you pray during the week that you will hear from God on Sunday, a couple of things. You will come with much greater anticipation, and you will hear more from God on Sundays. God will answer that prayer. Do you, do you think reasonably would God answer that prayer? Lord, teach me. Speak to me through your word. Change me this Sunday. I guarantee you God is leaning into that prayer, delights to answer that prayer in our lives when we gather before him. Here's something else. Consider your Saturday nights and your Sunday mornings. If I could be immensely practical, what helps you draw near carefully and to listen intently on Sunday morning? I'm not offering rules here at all. Not, I'm, not in, I'm not adding law to the Bible in what I'm saying. But as an example, you know, if you are out late on Saturday night and not getting enough rest and come in with unrested because of, you know, we're doing whatever on a Saturday night, uh, it will affect you listening intently. I would, I would say that our, the gathering before the Lord, I'm not talking about Grace Church, I'm talking about any place that Christians gather on Sunday morning, any church. If you're from another church, this is your church, think about this for your church that if it's as important as it is, if we're to come carefully, then we need to come rested as much as we can. Come rested. Uh, anticipate getting ready. If you've got little kids, oh man, that is a challenge uh, to get everybody ready. Uh, it's a huge challenge. Um, but sometimes we can prepare on Saturday. I mean, get the kids, I'm gonna be very practical. Get the kids' clothes laid out on Saturday. Pick out what we're gonna wear. Make sure we have Two pair of, I mean, two shoes for each human that you're going to bring. Because how many times you get to church and, oh, mom, I, I don't know where my shoe is in the back. And then we're yelling and, okay, then we're late. And, okay, it just doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't go very well. 
Get everything prepared. Get your stuff prepared ahead of time so that you're anticipating. On Sunday morning, seek to get some time. It could be very brief, but some time before the Lord. I mean, if it has to be in the shower, use that time. Whatever it is, some time before the Lord where you're saying, God, speak to me. Show up in power today, God. Pour out your spirit upon us. Meet us. I want to come carefully anticipating, listening to you. Seek to, seek to spend some time with the Lord. Seek to get ready. Get up early enough so that you can get ready without a rush. Sunday morning is a big conflict time, is it not? I mean, the enemy has something to say about that. The devil, I'm exposing his secrets here. He wants you to have conflict on Sunday morning so that you can sit here in this meeting mad at your spouse, um, waiting, thinking about when I get out, this is what I should have said on the drive, and this is what I'm going to say after church to her or to him. The, the enemy loves that because you're not listening intently. You're not receiving from the Lord. You're planning a battle strategy with your spouse. You know? So let's, let's get up early enough. Let's get ready. Let's ask the Lord to speak with us. Let's show up with plenty of time to spare. Guarding our steps is, requires much more thoughtful preparation than I think we realize, and especially if you're responsible for someone besides yourself, and especially if they are little. Now, if you have little kids, I get it. Well, I have four kids. They're all grown, but I get it, and I get that sometimes to, sh to show up, just to show up with every kid reasonably dressed, every kid somewhat fed, and to make it 10 minutes late, this was a win, fella. You, pastor, this was a win. You have no idea what we've been through. I didn't sleep last night because the baby's crying. I, I get that. And the fact that you are here, it is a win, and we serve a gracious God. And God knows that. He knows our frame. He knows what we are made of. He, and and, and I, I get that that happens. All I want to say is that generally preparation of heart and prayer during the week and preparation over the weekend before we get here can make a huge difference. And if you come in late because of your family situation, I get that. There's, there's grace and there's mercy, and sometimes it is a massive win that we made it uh, here. But we want to gather to listen intently. Approach carefully, listen intently, and then I think the last idea in this passage, where most of the rest of the verses deal with this, speak thoughtfully. He says, don't be hasty with your words. Verse 2, do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before the Lord. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And then he says something about many words. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. Saying when you're really busy, uh, it, it creates dreams. You sleep at night, you dream at night often when there's a lot going on in your life and you're busy. And it's also true that with a lot of words, you're going to hear a fool if there's a lot of words being spoken. So speak thoughtfully. Be careful with your speech. And the context is coming to the house of God. Now, this is an idea that's very foreign to us, but I think that we can sort of get the idea by just looking at the context of what he's saying. He, he, the idea springs from this, that God's nature is above ours. Be not rash, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word, verse 2, for because, here's the reason, God is in heaven and you are on earth. He's saying, do you realize who it is you worship? Do you realize who it is 
you gather before. He's emphasizing God's transcendence, his holy nature, which we sang about this morning, his glory. He is above us. And he's saying, if you realize who God is, how grand and how glorious that he is, then act like it. Don't saunter in sort of with just careless speech, rash speech. He says, don't be rash with your words. Rash means uh, to speak with a lack of thought, a lack of caution. To do something rashly is without deliberation. He says in the passage, it's speech that is hasty. Let not your heart be hasty to utter a word. Instead, we are to speak and sing and pray thoughtfully. That would be the the opposite of of, uh, rash words. The opposite of hasty words would be sincere words, thoughtful words. I'm meaning what I'm saying. It's not that my mouth is moving, but my mind is somewhere else. It's that I mean what I am saying. He's advocating that we come reflectively into the gathering to eagerly listen and then to respond with genuine speech, which could be sung or prayed, singing with minds and hearts engaged. I think he also is saying, hey, you know, let your words be few. God's not impressed with superficial wordiness. Jesus talks about that in the New Testament. God's not blessed by the the pagans who go on and on and on. Jesus tells a story at one time about a a guy, a a sinner, and a Pharisee gathered to pray. The, The Pharisee gathers and is just going on and on about, thank you, Lord, I'm not like other people, and, you know, just regaling himself before the Lord. And the, the sinner simply says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's his whole prayer. And God says, Jesus said, that guy went down justified. God heard his prayer because it was simple. It was from the heart. He wasn't giving a bunch of rash, hasty, thoughtless words. This is written to help us take God more seriously when we worship by not only gathering carefully, he says, listening intently, but speaking thoughtfully. And and he gives one form of hasty speech, and this is foreign to us as well. But in verses 4 and 5, he says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. So, um, in the Old Testament, we can read instances of people making vows to God. That is saying, God, if you do this, I will do this. An example would be Hannah. Hannah comes to the temple. She doesn't have a baby. She doesn't have a child. And she says before God, if you will give me a son, I will make him a Nazarite. That is, he'll be devoted to you in a special way. Um, and actually, it shall allow him to grow up in the temple um, under, under Samuel. So there is, or not the temple, but the tabernacle. So Hannah makes this vow. And so we look at that and go, you know, we don't really do that. We don't really do vows. I mean, I can think of one way uh, in, a, in a wedding ceremony, which in a Christian wedding ceremony is a worship service. It's before the Lord. Um, we take vows there. And so there may be a sense in which we don't do vows like this, but if, if we take the concept of a vow and just think of a commitment, we do that quite a bit as we gather. And I think that applies here. When someone's baptized, we'll have some baptisms in a few weeks. When someone's baptized, they commit that by God's grace, they're going to follow the Lord. Um, when we ordain someone, they 
commit, they actually do take a vow, but they commit that they will seek to be faithful to God's calling on their lives. When new members join the church, we read a church covenant and all the new members are making a commitment that they will walk out their faith in community with others. Um, that we will, that, you know, that we will seek to be faithful to what God has called us to. And so the application of this passage is take commitment seriously. Take your commitments seriously. Be faithful to your word. For when you say you will follow the Lord in an area and you don't, then your mouth leads you in to sin. And we make a lot of personal commitments. You may not be vowing. Or maybe you are. Maybe you do the vow, make deals. God, if you'll get me this new job, I'll give more money to you or something like that. Maybe you do that. Uh, I'm not sure that's forbidden. I, I'm not sure it's necessary or wise, but, uh, but maybe you do that. So any commitment you make to the Lord, he's saying walk it through. So think about this. Approach carefully. Man, that is sobering. Listen intently. I gave the example of myself not listening intently this morning doing that. Speak thoughtfully. Come with your heart engaged so that your words are for the Lord. If we are honest, we have to admit, man, we need God's help as worshipers. I do. I mean, let me ask you, are you approaching with the kind of care we've been talking about? Are you arriving eager, early, ready to listen and respond? Are you coming not, not hasty with speech, but thoughtful and sincere, mind engaged in what you're singing and what you're praying, listening to what you're hearing, faithful to do what you say, sing, and pray. I mean, it's easy to see our failures. This passage is, it opens up our hearts, and it's easy to see our failures. We, we show up hurried or late. We show up distracted. Our mind wanders in the singing. Uh, you ask Monday, and I can't remember anything about the sermon that I heard. We're not engaging with the greatness of God during our singing. We take him for granted. We make commitments, and then we forget about it. I don't even remember what I committed. We forget all about it. We need God's grace. And I've got some very good news for you here today. Because this passage works as the law to expose our need. The very good news is this, that if you were a believer in Jesus, you walked in this room to worship today in Jesus' name, in union with Jesus Christ. You are in union with him. And if you believe in him, then his record has become your record. When the Lord looks at you this morning, he looks at you in Jesus Christ, and he sees Christ's record, and that record is perfect. First uh, Corinthians 2 says that he has become our righteousness, that Jesus is our righteousness, providing right standing before the Lord. And I want you to know that Jesus always obeyed these commands. Jesus never went into the temple, never went into a synagogue flippantly. He never went in without care. He never went in without listening. Jesus listened perfectly. Jesus spoke perfectly. Every commitment to his father that he ever made, and I don't know what those are, but any commitment he made to the Lord when he gathered with the people of God, he fulfilled absolutely perfectly. He obeyed every word of scripture. And when we gather, we gather on his record. We're not coming, I'm not coming here on my record saying, man, I came perfect before you, Lord. Now, you better listen to what I have to say because look at my week. 
Look at every day this week. Look at my Saturday. Look at my Sunday. We don't come here on our record. We come here on Jesus' record, and God the Father welcomes us as he welcomes Christ. Praise God that in Jesus, the situation is not this, that if I worship the right way, God will accept me. That's backwards. In the New Testament, if you are in Jesus, you are accepted. Therefore, worship the right way. It's not worship the right way so God is pleased with me. God is already pleased with us in Jesus. Therefore, worship him the right way. We are already accepted before God because of the crucifixion, the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's not my proper worship that makes me accepted. It's Jesus's sacrifice that makes me accepted. And so now we have a very different point of view. If this God, when I am a failed worshiper, when I have not engaged heart, soul, mind, and strength so many times before the Lord, when I have come in casually and and disobeyed everything he says here with hasty speech and hasty intention and bold commitments, when I have done all of this kind of stuff and I have failed, my sins are forgiven in Jesus. God forgives me. God gives me new life. And now God empowers me by his Holy Spirit to be able to engage him in a way that glorifies him. And we have so much more reason to do so than Solomon did because we know so much more of the story. If Solomon, knowing what he knew of God, could say, guard your steps, listen carefully, speak thoughtfully, how much more when we come before the holy, gracious, loving God who has shown mercy to us, we want to run to that God. We want to, what is God going to say to me today about his grace? What is God going to speak to me today about his mercy? How is God going to help me today in my weakness? How I need you, Lord, give me ears to hear what you want to say to me today. How much more do we want to come with hearts intent on receiving from the Lord Jesus Christ who rules and is in our midst by his spirit this morning. The work of Jesus Christ is not to make us sloppy worshipers. The point of grace is not to say, oh, well, you know, I can mail it in. It doesn't matter. Jesus is faithful. I'm forgiven. No, that's presuming upon grace. Grace makes me all the more want to know and express love and learn from this God who is my Savior. Grace draws us in. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So this word is the law that exposes our hearts and causes us to run to Jesus where we find forgiveness, to be reminded that we are united in him and coming before the Lord today saying, Lord, I'm not coming on my record. I am coming in Jesus on his record and by his grace alone. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.